Well, good morning. If uh, you were a first-time guest these last couple of weeks, you might have come back to hear Jonathan. You might have come back to hear Oren, and this morning you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> so, but I am glad to be back. Our family's glad to be back. It was good to be away, as uh, you have all experienced before, especially time with family. Uh, and it's uh, pretty crazy. We were, we were ready to go back to Florida where it's cooler. So, of course, when you come back to Arkansas in July, you know what to expect. And uh, today, uh, usually you can expect a, uh, a caring and sharing potluck lunch. But we've moved that to this evening. And so I want to invite our guests and obviously our family here at Summers Avenue tonight to our caring and sharing potluck and our ice cream contest. And so we've got uh, two or three ladies who are trying to defend their titles. And so we're going to find out tonight who's going to take it away and what the winning flavor will be. So I hope you'll come. And we're also going to have a time of singing in our devotional period. And I know that Larry and James are coordinating this for us. And so I hope you'll plan on being back with us tonight at 5 o'clock for that. I'm sure Steve will mention a little bit more about it. So there are, I think, two different ways to deal with just about everything in life. You can deal with it by faith or you can deal with it in fear. And so you think about your own life and you probably experience this or would agree to it. And, and faith is described in Hebrews 11.1 1 as being certain of what we do not see, confident of things that we're unable to see. And so faith is this absolute belief that God is constantly working behind the scenes in every area of our lives, even when there is no tangible evidence to us that He's doing anything at all. And so that's what, that's what faith is about. And so, on the other hand, fear, when you compare the two, fear simply stated is it unbelief or weak belief when you contrast the two. And so, as unbelief gains the upper hand in our lives and in our experience, then fear takes hold of our emotions. And so being released from fear and worry is based on faith, which is the opposite of belief. And so the Christian's faith is this confident assurance, this confident certainty in a God who loves us, a God who knows our strengths, and a God who cares about our deepest needs. And on, as we look through Hebrews chapter 11, we realize that faith continues to grow as we learn these attributes of His amazing character. So the longer we walk with God and the more we, we seek to know about God, our faith will grow. Our faith increases, especially as we live in relationship with Him and we see how He's working in our lives. And so our series is called By Faith. And so we're walking through Hebrews chapter 11 in this chapter, this well-known chapter as the chapter of faith in our Bible here. But in reality, from Genesis to Revelation is the book of faith. Because we understand that, as we read in Romans 10:17, that faith comes from hearing... And hearing, not just hearing, not just being able to hear anything, but hearing the Word of God. Hearing the message of Christ. And so when you observe your life, you have a choice to look with one set of eyes or another. You don't have to wear glasses to be called four eyes, because we all have them. You can look through one set of eyes or another. You're either going to be looking through the eyes of faith, or you're going to be looking through the eyes of fear. And so life begins with this confidence in the Word of God. And so faith is inseparable from this conviction that God has spoken and that His Word is true because God is true. And so someone shared a definition of faith as acting upon God's Word because of a confidence in God's character. So we believe in things not yet seen or that we're not able to see and we're assured of them 
Because God said so. Our faith is in Him. And in fact, we believe the things we do see because we believe in one whom we cannot see. So faith is inseparable. As verse 3 makes clear, we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And so the Christian life begins with faith in God's Word. And we must begin back at the beginning. So we're going to go back this morning and start in Genesis. Faith and God's Word are inseparable, right? And so God's Word came to Abraham. And so we're in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, You go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham here is living about 4,000 or so years ago on the banks of the Euphrates River, not far from the mouth of the Persian Gulf in modern Iraq. Abraham looked like an Iraqi. And so Ur of the Chaldees here, this area was a world-class city. And archaeologists, through, through their discoveries and their, their studies and revelations, have, have convinced us that perhaps in Abraham's day there could have been up to, up to 250,000 people living in this area. And so that's equivalent to, to our central Arkansas here, our Little Rock, North Little Rock population. So you kind of get that, that picture there. And people from outlying areas moved into Ur because what it could offer. And so you had this urban influx from people who were seeking all the great things that, that go on in urban life, urban city, a great city. And so obeying God's Word, God's call meant giving up his friends, he was going to give up his career, he was going to give up his influence, he was going to give up his, his home, his position, he would give up his country to do this. And so more than that, it meant risking his health and his future on this vague promise from an unseen God. An unseen God who says, I'm going to lead you to a land I will show you. And so I got to thinking about some of those. You ever been to one of those timeshare, uh, you know, presentations where it says, "Let me let me tell you about how great this is." You can't see it yet. We're building this building, but if you'll buy into it, it's going to be great when it's built. And so I was thinking about that and what it must have been like for Abraham to have to look through the eyes of faith, unable to see exactly what God was calling him to do. And so by faith, it says in verse eight, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, and he went out without understanding where he was going. And so genuine faith always obeys God. Because if somebody says, I believe, if they profess, I believe, but they don't obey, then their faith is superficial. Their faith is worthless. For example, if you say, I believe that seatbelts save lives, but then you never wear your seatbelt... Well, that doesn't prove to anybody you believe that seatbelts save lives when you don't even use a seatbelt. If you really believe they save lives, you would buckle up because the buckling, the action, is what demonstrates your faith in that. And so what did James write? He said, you show me your faith without action, which is pretty much, let me see if I can just see your words because that's about all it is. And I will show you my faith by my life, by how I live, by the choices I make. And so Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so faith is action. And he told the Jews, the Jews who claimed Abraham as their father, 
but then looked to kill Jesus, he told them, he said, if you are Abraham's children like you say you are, then you would do what Abraham did. You can't just claim it. You've got to show it. You've got to live it. And so obedience is what proves that faith is genuine. And so Abraham's obedient faith caused him to go here without understanding where he was going. He didn't have a clue, really, where he was going. Knew the, I mean, he knew the direction, but he didn't know what it was going to look like when he got there. And so God didn't tell him until later that the destination was Canaan. He didn't have these color brochures you know, to present him and, and make this case, picturing this bountiful harvest of land and all of the, the great pleasant climate that might be there. And there was no home awaiting him when he arrived from this journey. He had to leave his culture. He had to leave his familiar way of life in Ur, he had, and later in Haran. He had to leave his friends, his family, his earthly inheritance. It was a long and dangerous trip made without a U-Haul, no interstate highways. In fact, archaeology would indicate that Abraham traveled, that the, the areas that he traveled through to get to where God was leading him to had numerous strongholds, numerous fortresses that he would have had to pass by. And I don't care who you are and how much money you got, when you pass a, a fortified city, that's intimidating. And so it in no way looked like some vacant lot in which he could just stake a claim to. But Abraham obeyed anyway. He obeyed, risked everything on God's Word of promise. And God calls us to journey to a land that He's prepared for us. And it can be a long and dangerous trip. And we pass numerous strongholds Numerous fortresses in this, this world, fortresses of evil that we have to pass by and pass through. Life looks and feels very temporary. But God promises if we obey, if we risk everything on His Word of promise, the results are going to be more wonderful than we can even imagine. And Peter struggled with this early on when he measured what the apostles had given up for Jesus. When he looked around at everyone else, he said, Lord, look at all that we have given up for You. Jesus tells him in Luke 18 and verse 29, He says, I tell you the truth, there is no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Which well, sure didn't feel that way to Peter. But then again, faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. Faith is a decision. And so the life of faith means I'm going to be the man or the woman that God wants me to be, no matter where it leads me, no matter what unfolds in life. I don't know my future, but I'm trusting Him to work out the details for me. And in the meantime, I'm going to step out by faith and I'm going to follow where He leads me. And living by faith doesn't have any mile marker signs to help us measure the journey, to see how far we've gone or how much further we have to go. Living by faith means waiting on God to keep His promises. And that's hard. And God knows it's hard. He knows it's hard. Verse 9 says, Abraham, by faith, lived as a foreigner in the promised land as though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were fellow heirs of the same promise. And I've always loved to travel. I love to go. I'm, I'm good for a journey. I love to just get out and drive or take a, take a day trip or a couple of week trip or whatever. But as I get older... <laughs> I sure seem to value a lot more coming home to the same faces and the same places 
the same familiarity. We loved getting to spend time with family, loved going and, and staying in their homes, but no matter how great the relationship you have with your in-laws or how welcoming or how accommodating they may be, traveling for any extended amount of time can create this vague sense of uneasiness. You just still feel like you don't quite belong and you're trying to figure out where you belong. Where should I park? Where should I leave my, my toiletry bag? Where should I hang my towel? You know, it's all this. You just don't quite feel at home. No matter how welcoming they may try to be. And so our text tells us that he lived in tents. And we love camping. We love going on the summer's camping trip coming up in October. We love to camping and I would love tent camping, but there is no way in the world I want to permanently live in a tent. Tents speak of impermanence. They speak of this possibility of movement at any moment, of the fact that, that you live on land that you don't personally own. And so that's Abraham. He didn't own anything in the promised land and God had promised to give his descendants this land, yet he lived like a stranger in this foreign country. And so if you don't own the land, you can't build a permanent dwelling there without getting in all kinds of trouble. And so in many ways, this is even more remarkable than, than leaving Ur in the first place. Because as long as he was traveling across the desert, he could dream about the future. As long as the future hasn't arrived, you can still ride it to some degree, if not only in your own imagination. But when he got to Canaan, the illusions disappeared. Reality set in. This is what we got now. This is where we are. What, what did he not have? He didn't have a welcome sign. Welcome Abraham. There were no discount coupons in the mail from local merchants trying to get him to shop local. There weren't no housewarming party, no visit from the welcome wagon, no mayor with a key to the city. There was no band playing, happy days are here again. There was nothing like that welcoming here. No ticker tape parade. Nobody expected him. Nobody cared that he had come. Nobody gave him anything. God had promised him the land. But he still had to scratch out this existence in tents. Hundreds of years would pass before this promise was completely fulfilled in the descendants of Abraham. Abraham never saw it happen. And neither did Isaac. And neither did Jacob. Was Abraham a part of the will of God? Absolutely. Was he right to obey and leave Ur? Yes, he was. Absolutely. In obedience, he left. Was he doing what God wanted him to do? Yes, he was. Every step of the way, he did what God asked him to do. Then why is he living in tents? Why is this happening? Why is this not unfolding? Because God's timetable is not the same as mine. God's time is not the same as ours. He's not in a big hurry like we are. God works across generations to accomplish His purposes. We're worried about getting our to-do list done today. There's a big difference in perspectives here. It says He was looking forward. Looking forward. He was looking beyond to the future. Not just looking forward. I'm hopeful about it, but I can, I'm, my eyes are set on it. He was looking forward to the city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. And the reality is, there's a certain amount of disappointment that's built into the life of faith. 
Because sometimes we think, well, if I follow God's call, if I do what God's asked me to do, if I go where I think He's leading me, then everything's going to work out and I'll be happy. As Dr. Phil says, I think I've heard Karen Kidd say this a few times, let me know how that works out for you. (laughs) That line of thinking. And by saying that Abraham was looking forward to a city, it means he never really found it. He never truly saw it on this journey in this life. And so everything Abraham did seemed like a waste when it got to the end of his life. I mean, from start to finish, it looked like, well, that was just a waste of time. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, and look, what do we got? We left more than we gained. If your perspective is earthly. And this world comes with a a huge helping of frustration built at the core of almost everything that we're a part of. And one of Robert Frost's most famous poems captures this truth in powerful images he writes nature's first green is gold her hardest hue to hold her early leaves a flower but only so an hour then leaf subsides to leaf so eden sank to grief so dawn goes down today and nothing gold can stay nothing gold can stay how true is that how true is that we live We die. We buy a house. We sell a house. We take a job. We leave a job. Or we lose a job. And someone else takes that job or that house that we've left. And if we're fortunate enough to have a corner office with an incredible view, we need to soak it up and remember that someone else had it before we did. And if this moment is golden for you, perhaps this time in your life, You say, oh, this is the best it's been. You hang on to it. Soak it up. Because life changes. And that's one part of the the life of faith. We never reach full satisfaction in this life. Our eyes and our, our hearts are always set on something just beyond. Just out of reach. But not beyond reach. What did God promise Abraham? He promised him a land. He promised him a, a great nation. He promised him that he'd be a blessing to the world. And so Abraham died. How many of these promises had been fulfilled by the time Abraham died? None. Nada. Nil. I mean, you can't hardly call a handful of sons being a nation. Abraham looked for a city. He didn't look for a lonely spot in the desert. He wanted to live in a place filled with other people. His eyes were set on a community. And he also looked for a city with foundation, something permanent, a place with security that could not be found in a tent. And that meant he was looking for a city designed and built by God. Why? Because all earthly cities eventually crumble. Buildings crumble into dust. Nothing built by man lasts forever. Then how can we endure so much disappointment? How do we cope with so much loss in this life? The same way Abraham did. By looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose builder, whose designer is God. And oh, how the children of Abraham endured disappointment and loss. (laughs) We follow their history throughout Scripture. Their, Their disappointment. And because of their disobedience, the Israelites never outlive their sense of uneasiness. They were sojourners, their entire existence as this nation of God, of not belonging, of searching for this firm foundation upon which to, to build their nation. 
Faith is this rudder that steers us through the stormy seas of life. And Isaiah was called by God to to speak to these children of Abraham whose hearts were were broken and, and in despair and captivity. He spoke to them that they were losing hope. They were losing hope in these promises of God. How long? Maybe God has forgotten. Maybe God has led me to the desert to leave me here to die. Listen to these words from a father who is ever near to his children. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the Word of our God endures forever. And following God's will doesn't guarantee we, what we measure as success on this earth. That's not what we're guaranteeing. Abraham left this beautiful city of Ur. He walked away from his career. He walked away from his friends. Left them far behind. Started all over again in this new land, this new way of living, this new walk of life. Lived in tents until the end of his life. Died without seeing all that God had promised him. Was that a disappointment? I mean, wouldn't we think that's a disappointment? Not if you're looking forward. And Abraham was motivated by a vision of something that people around him simply couldn't grasp. They couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. He was looking forward to something they couldn't see at all. And following God's will sometimes will lead you and me to make decisions that those around us just simply don't understand. Why we live the way we live. Why we do what we do in the way we do it. And when that happens, all you can do is explain the best you can and then set off to obey God's call, leaving the results in His hands. And so whether it's a decision about what to do on Friday night or what job to pursue or what relationship you may have to sever or how to spend your money, too many people die at age 25 and aren't buried until they're 75. They waste their best years in trivial pursuits all the while missing out on the excitement of living life by faith. There is some excitement in the unknown and the unseen. And there's security in knowing who's there waiting. In knowing it's God all-seeing who is in the future, just as He is in the present with us. God has one view of success, and the world has a completely different one. And so from that day He left until the day He died, Abraham was a sojourner. He was a a tent dweller, a man living on land he didn't own. And so are we when we place our faith, our life in Christ Jesus. But with each step forward, our faith is strengthened and our faith grows. 
And Jesus tried to help His disciples understand this power of faith. As He said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 5, the Apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. Isn't that our prayer? That should be our prayer. It needs to be my prayer. Increase my faith. So the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this black mulberry tree, be pulled out by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Because see, the key component in accomplishing great things to advance the kingdom of God is not the quality of our faith. It's not the quantity of our faith. But it's the power of God. God is the one who moves mulberry please. He's the one that uproots and plants. And it does not depend decisively on the quantity of my faith, but on His power and on His wisdom and on His love. Faith comes how? By hearing the Word of God. That is, faith comes by knowing certain things. Knowing certain things should increase our faith. And knowing the power is not from me, but from God frees us to trust in God's power and inspires us to live by faith. Two different ways of dealing with faith. Dealing with life, rather. By faith or in fear. And scripture doesn't say Abraham had no fear. It doesn't say he had no anxiety. It doesn't say he had no concerns. And I cannot imagine being a well-established businessman responsible for such a great household of workers, of livestock that he had, that he uprooted and, and, and moved. I cannot imagine that you would not experience some anxiety uprooting and traveling across foreign, potentially hostile territory to an undisclosed location to be revealed at a later day. I can't imagine not. But if it's safety you want and a guarantee of how our society measures success, then you've got to look somewhere else. Faith in Jesus Christ will not bring you success as our society measures success. It will not bring you security. The way the world we live in identifies security. You've got to look somewhere else. But if you are willing to obey God, if you're willing to follow Jesus, He promises you that you will never be disappointed in Him and your life will never be boring. <laughs> and your search for God's will will lead you out of your comfort zone, but it leads you into an exciting life of faith. And along the way, you'll discover that you can indeed survive without absolute certainty. You don't have to be absolutely certain about what tomorrow will bring. And you may even enjoy living on the edge between faith and absolute disaster. But in any case, knowing God's will will cease to be an academic exercise as we grow in our faith. It stops being homework that we can accomplish, that we can do. And instead, it becomes the most exciting adventure that we've ever known as we set out on the unknown land of life. Follow God wherever He leads. And I say, however He leads, because we already know the wherever. Scripture's told us that. See, faith looks forward. It looks forward to a city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. When Sarah died, when Abraham's wife died, he bought a cave in Canaan to bury her. He bought a tomb in a land that he did not own. What does that say? One of the most permanent structures that we can purchase is a burial site. And Abraham bought it in a land based on a promise. 
that he did not experience. Because he believed that in God's time, he would fulfill his will. And he would fulfill his promise. And Abraham lived his life by faith. And in faith, that God is God. God is supreme. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. He's all-providing. And that's the way God calls us to live. To know the same God that Abraham knew. To realize that we can still live by faith even though we can't see what tomorrow holds. We don't know what's on the other side of this choice, this decision. But when we place that, our faith and trust in God as we follow His will in making it, in taking that step, that God is with us. And that ultimately, we will possess the land of promise. So this morning, what's leading you? Is it faith or is it fear? God calls you out of a life of fear. That's, that's Satan's world. Satan's world is a world of fear. A world of uncertainty. God's world, which is everything. When we peel back the facade, the lies that Satan paints in front of us. God's world is a world of beauty. A world of hope. A world of eternity. And that's where He wants us. This morning, what's leading you? Perhaps it's sin. God calls you to repent of that. Confess that sin. Ask for His forgiveness and He will forgive. And as we're assembled this morning, if we can pray for you for strength as you walk this walk of faith, we want to do that. And if you are ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to confess Him as Lord and Savior, to tell the world that He is the Son of God and He is Lord of your life, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of God's Spirit, the guarantee, the promissory note of that eternal home that He has promised us. That we want to celebrate with you this morning as you place your faith in God through Christ. If we can help you in any way as we stand and sing this song, will you come?